Welcome to Open Plaza, created by the Hispanic Theological Initiative. In this episode, Stephen DiTrolio talks to Dr. Patrick Reyes about his podcast series, The Scholar's Guide to Writing, a step-by-step guide to writing a dissertation. For more information about today's episode, visit htiopenplaza.org. Welcome to HTI Open Plaza. My name is Stephen Detroit-Copley. I'm one of the producers for the Open Plaza podcast, and I'm really excited to have with me today Patrick Reyes. And Patrick, today we're going to be uh, talking a little bit about the FTE Scholar's Guide podcast uh, that was uh, launched on Spotify and probably everywhere else. I listen to it on Spotify. Um, but in one, the chapter, I think it's chapter six or chapter seven, it's introduction, which you say you got to write the introduction last. Every episode, you start with a question or kind of a writing prompt, and it's introduce yourself to your audience. So in the introduction, when you say introduce yourself to your audience, uh, tell, write to those people who you are. So instead of me trying to introduce you, I would love for you to take your own prompt and use it on yourself. So yeah, of who, course. Uh, who are you? I'm Patrick Reyes. Um, I sit between five generations of Carmelitas. Uh, my grandmother's name, my great great grandmother's name was Carmelita. My grandmother's name who raised me was Car- uh, Carmen Carmelita. My daughter's name is Carmelita and five generations. There'll be someone who carries on their spirits of love and truth. And what that means is I am trying to be a medium of their love and their energy. Uh, someone who's sitting between those generations uh, doing my best. And right now, currently, I'm doing that through uh, FTE, the Forum for Theological Exploration, where I oversee, I'm the Senior Director of Learning Design, oversee all of our grand initiatives and our courses and learning, and of course, our historic fellowship program uh, that's been around since 1968. So I, I do a lot with grace and humility because those ancestors are watching and my daughter doesn't care what I do for work. So yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well, I appreciate that. So um, the FTE Scholar's Guide to Writing is a phenomenal tool uh, for listeners who haven't uh, engaged with it. I am a first year PhD student, HTI scholar. And, you know, you kind of hear these tips through the grapevine of like, hey, this is what I did. And so you're trying to get all this knowledge. How did this whole uh, podcast uh, come about? What was the, the background behind it? Because I'm sure people would love to hear about how, how this all came about. Yeah, so the podcast was really thinking through what is the challenge that many doctoral students face when getting through their PhD program um, that's not their committee. (laughs) What are the things, what is the kind of internal uh, resistance that shows up? And part of it is one, not knowing the rules, like, hey, this is what you're supposed to do in chapter one or chapter two. This is what a methodology is, just kind of knowing the definitions of terms um, and not getting that feedback from their uh, committee or their chair. So we said, why don't we do something around this? And not to try to coach people on how to write the perfect dissertation, but how to write a dissertation, how to just get through the daily writing habit of each chapter. And what would that look like to do it? And we try to take a little bit of inspiration. I'm a runner from uh, the Nike running app, which has these great runs in there where there's a bunch of prompts that kind of get you going. I thought, well, what if there was a practice where we could do that with writing, uh, specifically with writing a dissertation? So the Scholar's Guide to Writing is going chapter by chapter um, to kind of help folks 
think about what are those things that might get them into a writing habit, get them started on the chapter, not necessarily refine their ideas, but get started. So for example, you know, in the methodology, we ask, ask your big question. What is your question that you're doing in your dissertation? And then tell me how you would solve it in layman's terms. Like, mm -hmm. I, I don't want to know all the technical stuff or all your bibliography around how you figured out your methodology, but write down the steps. How would you go figure out your answer to your question and write that out in bullet point form? And it's stuff like that. That's just kind of basic um, mm -hmm. that no one really makes space for because we complexify yeah. everything in the academy. Sure. One of the things that I, I love about each chapter is that, like you said, it starts with a prompt, but then instead of going right into like you talking about it, you actually give time to write. It's actually almost like a audio book workshop. Um, how did, how, how did that idea come about of just making that? Cause it, to me, it was extremely practical. I, I, I was just listening because we were having this interview, but I was thinking to myself, dang, I'm going to do that. I'm going to, when I'm, I'm three years away from, uh, that, that step, but, um, even for a paper, how did, how did that idea come? Because I was like, this is such a good idea. Yeah, we had um, my one of my colleagues, Elsie Barnhart, who's the producer of the show, who does all of our editing. Um, we, her and I were thinking about how do we recreate a workshop environment um, mm -hmm. via podcast and looking at type of resources that were out there. There just wasn't anything that allowed people to kind of get into the writing habit, really to get a jump start. And we thought about how do we make this short, sweet, give them the give listeners the right questions so they can start writing. Um, within a you know 20 or 30 minute time frame so that way we know that concentration only lasts about 90 minutes if you're really yeah. lucky yeah. so like get them get their juices flowing without um, sort of hampering them with trying to self-edit in these moments yeah. and it was it was really cool to see Elsie in particular really think about okay if this is the prompt if this is the question we're going to ask how much time would it take for someone to really sit down and write that? You know, we did our own practices. We asked those questions. We started writing stuff out and yeah. came up with some timing that we thought could give people some creative juices, get the, get the writing, uh, you know, bug going. Yeah. I've actually already shared it with a few people uh, because um, yeah, I just found it so useful. But one of the things I was even thinking, it's even helpful for even thinking about writing in general and writing a paper. Um, I, was a TA this last semester here at Princeton Theological Seminary. And I'm going to actually send it to all my uh, precepts to be like, hey, you're not writing a dissertation, but if you want to like edit this to a paper, but writing a dissertation is such a difficult process. I would love for you to talk about how your dissertation process and writing that kind of came about um, and kind of you getting to that place in life, I think. So there's two questions. The one is, uh, you ask in, 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 the, in one of the episodes, why are you pursuing a PhD? Mm -hmm. So I'd like you to answer that question. And then I would love for you to answer about how, how your writing of the uh, dissertation came about. Yeah, uh, even pursuing doctoral work. I mean, I was always inspired by writers as a nerd growing up. I love books. I think that books are fantastic and they're a great way to transmit knowledge. And it's one way of transmitting knowledge. And one of the other ways is through oral traditions and my grandmother taught me but she didn't have the opportunity to 
uh, pursue higher education. And one of the things I really want to do in my higher education pursuits was to capture her stories, her history. Mm -hmm. So that way we're not erased or eradicated. And so when I went to go do my PhD, which was going back home and asking people what in their religion, spiritual lives helped them stay alive. It was really to honor those oral histories that were in our communities, those healing practices that were in our communities and try to put them down on paper. Um, so that way they were not erased or eradicated. So that way other folks from other communities, other cultures, other groups learned from the sacred wisdom my grandmother had. And there's no reason why I had to go through a Western white academy and never hear about my people. Uh, shelf. There was a missing dissertation on the shelf uh, written from my community um, and so I, I decided to pursue that PhD to say, hey, we will we will be remembered at least in this way one time. And if I can provide access to other folks who are also curious, I think my grandma has a lot to teach within just our community. She has a lot to teach the entire church, the entire uh, community, culture, society. So that's why I pursued a PhD was to make sure we were not erased or eradicated from the record. Yeah. It actually, I was driving while I was listening and I was thinking, this is not a question for a drive for me to answer. So I'm going to go on a long walk and, and process that myself because in my mind, I had a few different answers. But when you sat down to write the dissertation, um, maybe you can tell people who don't know you where that was. What did that look like, that time frame of your life? It's such a long process. Did you have rituals? Did you have habits? I think the pod- podcast captures the great do's of what to do when you're in that. But I just want to hear about what was it like for you to write your dissertation? Where were you at? What was, what was going on? Did you have little rituals? Like I get up at, cause I, I talk to people and they're like, Oh, I start writing at 6am. And I'm like, geez, I'm in bed still. Um, <laughs> uh, at least for another hour or so. I just want to hear about what, what writing the dissertation looked like for you. Before I give my writing practice, I'll just say this. We say this a lot in the in the series, in the podcast, The Scholar's Guide, is to say that whatever your writing practice is, is the right writing practice. You just got to find your own. Mm-hmm. Uh, mine was baked out of necessity. Um, so I was in California, uh, Southern California, went up to Central California to do my research and studies and went and worked in the fields and the packing sheds and, you know, was doing this question ethnographic work. So it was hard work writing notes late at night. And then when I was actually able to, when I was done with the labor part and the ethnographic study, I had to, I had a full-time job. I had to write. I also had a kid. My son was born, my first, uh, first born. So there's pictures of him, you know, on my back as I'm, (laughs) as I'm writing in a backpack, trying to work, have my baby on my back and, you know, riding in my makeshift stand-up desk with, yeah. uh, with a cardboard box and my laptop up on top of it. And it was really just whenever I could find time and really trying to take inventory of like, Hey, if I can get 20 minutes here, that's good. Now mm-hmm. I had this, I cultivated this habit early on to say the one time I could guarantee Asher, my son, who was even just a baby, then he's still a late riser now. And yeah. my wife would not wake up was early in the morning. And because of my labor background, because I worked in the fields, because I worked in construction, waking up early is not a problem for me. So yeah. I knew if I could wake up between four and four 30, I would get about an hour and a half of writing every wow. single day before my workday started, before the family woke up. And I just, I've cultivated that habit. So it's writing, it's, you know, every now and then deep reading, but right. I have all kinds of writing projects that I still do that that's that time for a creative space when my mind is most alive and I want to get yeah. those ideas out there. 
that's how I did it. And I didn't do, I, I rarely, rarely write on weekends. I try to yeah. preserve that time for my family. So yeah, carve out a little bit of time. So were you up today at 4.30? I was up at five writing. I oh, actually was. Yeah, man. You Come know, on. so I will, I will say, Get uh, it. I will say the two things that um, really kind of impacted me, especially this weekend was I was in um, doing my PhD down in Claremont and mm -hmm. Rosemary F. Ruther, who just passed away this last yes. weekend. Um, she gave this advice to all the doctoral students that just two hours a day, every day, two hours, give two hours to your writing craft. That's all she did Monday through Friday. Um, I'm sure she wrote on weekends. I'm sure she wrote on evenings and all stuff, but she had a daily writing habit. Hmm. Um, and that has stuck with me that that hers was late afternoon. Like, I think it was like three to five or I can't remember what her timing was, but it yeah. was, it was a different timing in the day for her. Um, it's just about cultivating that, that writing habit and seeing what, stirs from you. The other thing yeah. I would say is that this writing habit, I was at an event last night with um, Joy Harjo and um, Sandra mm -hmm. Cisneros, and they both said in their own way of finding their own writing habit that tuning out distraction is the number one challenge mm -hmm. and gift. If you can quiet the mind, quiet the space, um, create some little zone where writing is what you do, even if it's for five minutes or 20 minutes or an hour, um, that that's, those are times you need to take inventory of every single day. So I try to do that I try to just yeah. carve out just a little bit of focus time. Every that's day. awesome. Yeah. I think that is definitely one of the biggest challenges in these little machines right here. Uh, don't help because you'll be writing and you'll get a notification, this email, this text message, this, how do you, how do you envision the uh, series going forward? Will it, I think you, you mentioned a little bit about uh, kind of next next step. I have some other questions that I want to ask you, but I, now that we're on this topic, uh, where do you see the series going? I think you said you're, you guys are thinking of more episodes. Yeah, we're going to have uh, more episodes that are kind of, you mentioned it was a pragmatic series. So, you know, it's got a spirituality to it. Of course, it's got a kind of spirit of generosity and generativity to self, to write whatever you write is the right thing. You don't have to write every day to be a writer every day, mm -hmm. those types of things. Um, but we're going to be focusing on some of those pragmatic questions. So we get a lot of questions around like, okay, how to turn my dissertation into a book? How mm. do I get that first book proposal out there? Um, how to questions like you just asked, how do I carve out a little bit of time in my day? It'll be, you know, a little meditative exercise that we'll have some of our board members come on and do a little guest episodes about their writing habits. Um, so it'll be, it'll be both tied to the pragmatic questions of what does it mean to be a writer, to be a scholar, you have to write. Um, you can find other ways to provide your scholarship, sure, with the digital humanities and podcasting, that sort of thing. But at the end of the day, we still write books. Yeah, that's the currency of the academy. So yeah. uh, we want to lift up the hood a little bit and just say, here, here's some helpful tips just to get you started, not to finish your work, not to edit your work, but just to get you started. Yeah, I think for so many of us at the doctoral stage, I just finished my first year and, you know, you you hear so many different even conflicting advice, but one of the kind of the pressures is, uh, you know, what, what, what comes after, after you, you write that dissertation. So I'll be looking forward to listening how to, how to write a book proposal, because it, you know, when you're, when you're at the base of the mountain, it seems extremely daunting. And when you have uh, friends who are guides who've climbed that mountain before and have said, Hey, this is, this is what I did. Maybe it'll be helpful for you is, is, is wonderful. I just want to backpedal a little bit. Uh, and I thought it was, I, I love the questions that you asked at the beginning of every episode. So I just want to ask 
you already asked you one, why are you pursuing your PhD? For you, it's, all, it's, all, it's a past tense. Um, but one of the ones I was curious uh, because you know I've, I've talked with you a few times, but I was like, well, I, I don't know this about Patrick. In the lit review um, episode, you say, you started off and say, who are your favorite authors? And who are those people that inspire you? So I would love to hear a little bit about who are your favorite authors? Who are those people that inspired you in your writing of your dissertation? Oh, that's such a good question. I mean, I Unpack am- it, go, go I, off. I am a place-based human. I am, you know, the snoring desert. Right now I'm in New Mexico, I'm in the high desert. Yeah. I, I am of my people. So Rodolfo Anaya um, is my writer of writer. He called me- in his essays, he wrote, he names himself as a shaman of words. Mm. Um, so I just love his writing. I love how he talks about our people, how he talks about our space, our folks. Um, I love storytelling from uh, anything that happens to where I grew up in Salinas. So Octavia Butler makes a stop there in the parable series. And oh, cool. I, John I Steinbeck's, that. of course, from there. Yeah. So there's like moments where people are trying to describe the space uh, where I'm from. Ana Castillo. Um, there's just so many good Chicana and Chicano writers that have inspired me to tell the stories of our folks. And, and what I what I love about my, if you've read any of whether it's my dissertation or either of my books, the everyone always comments like, what the heck is wrong with this dude? Because, or the editors do, because all the bibliography comes from a whole variety of disciplines. I love the mm -hmm. arts. I love sciences, of course, leadership stuff, because I do the meaning and purpose work. Yeah. Um, but I, I love a wide variety of writing. I'm right now into speculative uh, fiction. So I'm doing the whole uh, Stanley Robinson, the mystery okay. of the future. I mean, yeah. it's just, how do we, how do we, I could just go over the stack that's sitting right behind me. Um, Donna you know, Haraway. That's right. Yeah. yeah. I, I listened to that last summer and it kind of like, it, uh, it, it's radically changed a lot of the way I think about even just writing nonfiction. That's right. Just, that's yeah, right. anyways, that's, a, that's, that's, that's right. a whole nother conversation. Yeah. And the critic, uh, for me as an educator, I think the critical pedagogy literature is to me what I'm trying to do in the world. So the bell mm -hmm. hooks, the Paul Freire, um, Michael Apple, like these are, these are the folks that really inspire me to think about how, how do we bring along a new generation to educate and bring up, um, folks to be, you know, good humans in the world to save our planet, to reimagine how we interact with the world. It's just, it's such a, such a gift. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, you, you said the editors complained. How do you, cause I, cause always I complain. Yeah. Well, they complain about everything, but one of the things that I've had a conversation with a lot of my peers, you know, I'm sitting in, in a conference room right now and I'm maybe 15 feet away from where we all have lunch together and we, talk and kind of exchange notes is one of the conversations most recently is how do we take our project and bring it to a wider audience? Because not everybody is interested in text A, 3B from, you know, this Vatican archive that hasn't been talked about in a hundred sure. years. Not everybody's interested, but kind of what you're talking about right there with, you know, bringing Paulo Freire, academics, um, you know, speculative fiction is interdisciplinary work that then can go to the broader. How, how did you do that interdisciplinary work? And then a second question is, how, how, do, how do PhD students 
kind of get that next step from kind of the nerd academic space. And I say that in the best way possible, because that's the space I'm in, to the wider public. Those are such good questions. I mean, I think for me, what I've tried to teach folks, the academy is already a really competitive place. So maybe the folks in your cohort, like in your course, like there every now and then there's like a cohort just clicks and everyone can share work and be excited about what other people are doing and celebrate them as they hit their achievements. But that's not always the case. Mm -hmm. I have tried to um, diversify the folks who read my stuff. So if I'm going to work in poetry, I'm part of a poetry workshop out here. Mm. It's folks that know their craft who want to work on it. I surround myself with people who love words, who love to write, who want to give me feedback. I am friends with my editors, much as I drive them crazy. I'm sure that they give me great feedback because what I, I try to teach, um, at least the folks that I get to work with, the scholars I get to work with is have huge feelings about your ideas, like huge, like just, this should be so ingrained. Why would you waste any time thinking about things that you don't care about? Well, write and think about the things that you care about more than anything in the world that only you can solve that make you unique. Like do that work with your full passion, but hold your words that you wrote to try to articulate those ideas or those that work or that scholarship that you're doing with a little less feeling <laughs> because sure. editors those folks in your workshop, the folks who actually care about craft, how you put these words together, how you communicate that to the broader public are going to help you refine how you communicate your uniqueness to the world. It's not a knock on your writing mm -hmm. uh, to work with an editor. And we're, our, one of my favorite episodes in the series is the editing one, um, mm -hmm. where I bring on my editor, Elsie, who helps me edit all of our podcasts and looks at all my writing and I get to work with FT. And I'm when I say writing, like invitations to deans and presidents to our gatherings and you know, she's always everything. correcting me. She she sees everything before it goes out. And the gift of that is she knows that I'm trying to do something. Now, of course, I have writing ticks that just annoy her. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, there is something about having other people read your stuff. My uh, developmental editor cannot stand the five different directions I can take a single sentence. Like, she just pick one ending that you want to on this one sentence. Like, just sure. find a period somewhere. Um, so for some of this for me is really just about being okay with like, hey, I got, I got the voices of my ancestors that are trying to come through that want to be spoke that the descendants are calling out for something to last. I want to put these words down because these are not technically my words. And when yeah. I let myself up for that, for discernment, um, it really kind of opens up a space that the ideas become better and more refined and can be better applied to a broader audience because I've let go of, Hey, I have the only right words here. Yeah. Uh, my community can actually help me. Patrick, one of the, the things that I think about when I talk to people in, in different fields is those people who are doing extremely technical research, um, how, how can they then bring kind of their research, their, uh, dissertation to a wider public and kind of connect, uh, with people outside of their specific field? That's a great question. I mean, one of the things we talk about in the conclusion or the, we, the prompts we give in the conclusions, you have a gift. You have this knowledge you want shared, that these are important ideas that need to be translated. I mean, this is finding that great editor. It's about naming that audience. Um, I think for so many technical folks, I, I love theoretical work. Like I'm a theory junkie. Um, that is often very dense text. It's not written for the popular audience, but there's also kind of a practice in 
in reading and the gift that someone spent this much time to think about a particular topic and to trust that you'll find an audience. I, I find that even the densest work, if it's really, if it's, if it's meant for the public and the author believes that, believes that, hey, I put in this work, I think this matters to the world. It's less about trying to translate that so that way it's, or dumb it down for the audience. And the sure. folks I grew up with who I grew up in an education desert, they are smart. They're the smartest people I know because of what they're navigating on the day-to-day level. So I'm not going to dumb down anything for them because that's disrespectful. What I am going to do is in this dense text, trust that, hey, I think this is a gift to my community, that even in my the, the most theoretical writing I have, that if I put it in front of folks who may not have had the opportunity to have the educational advancement that I have, that doesn't matter. That, that they'll get, they'll catch what I'm trying to put down on paper. And sure. so I would just encourage those folks who are in those feels they're doing really dense writing that to think about their audience in not such an ivory tower sense like hey maybe your writing is good for a popular audience maybe you just need to get out there and relate folks or do some more kind of you know conversation i will say this though because the 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 series uh, scholar's guide to writing is focused on right at this point is focused on dissertation writing dissertations are weird beasts i say this several times throughout the uh, series that this is a once in a lifetime, you have to think about an audience of three to five people. <laughs> and yeah. so what gets made in that is Frankenstein's monster. It is like piecing together the ideas. And what I try to say is that this is not your first book. For some yeah. people, they're very lucky. It can become their first book. My mm-hmm. dissertation didn't become a book. Um, that it was really written for your committee. And to be okay with like, all right, really leaning in this committee member needs X, C, X, Y, and Z to show that I know this material or I know how to get through this stuff. Cool. That's in there. And be okay with like, hey, this is this is probably not going to make you back home. Yeah. It's not going to be a New York Times bestseller. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. that doesn't mean the ideas that will be aren't sitting in that dissertation. So totally. how do you think about moving that uh, in the next step? Yeah, one of the things that uh, I think it is in the writing the conclusion uh, episode, you kind of, you kind of intuit people to thinking about, okay, what, what are the questions you didn't answer? What are, what are the questions that come next? That's right. I mean, it wasn't, yeah, it was asking those questions. Like what are the, know your own work. What are the limitations of your own work? What didn't you get to? What is your next project? Tease up the the reader with, Hey, this is, this is what I did. And here's all the things I didn't answer. And here's where I think I'm going to. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. The other thing I say in the conclusion that I, I, I think is appropriate for this is not just teasing that up, but also saying in layman's terms, why your dissertation matters. We did, we say that prompt throughout the whole series. Why does this matter to your neighbor? Your neighbor asks, what are you working on? come up with one to two sentences that that makes sense. Yeah. I I actually found that I was again, driving when I was listening to it and I was like, that is a really good, because a lot of my family, you know, they're like, you know, they say, so you're doing history of Christianity and Latin America. Like, what what, what do you mean? And so I'm, I'm able, you know, I kind of have crafted over time, kind of a quick kind of two phrase answer, but it made me think of how, how can I edit that to be more specific, but also uh, layman's terms rather than just this uh, 
one of the one of the things that in that concluding chapter or that in the conclusion episode you say and 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 I and I really really enjoyed it you said something like tell the audience or tell the readers it, that it's okay that you were wrong or something that your hypothesis was way off and I think one of the things that it taught me uh, was it's okay to say that you were wrong about something in an academic right. setting. So I would love for you to talk about maybe that. I don't know if academic humility and the practice of academic humility is the proper word, but um, that comes from a place in, in your heart. And so I just wanted to hear a little bit more about that, telling people you were wrong about something and also that you didn't answer all the questions. So yeah, I mean, this academic humility for me comes from community. As a Chicano, as someone who did a, a, my own studies, they always, if I'm writing about my community to my community, folks from my community are writing it with me, reading it, hearing it, and check me like mm -hmm. nobody's business. Mm -hmm. They all knew me when. Yeah. <laughs> so like my favorite uh, kind of humility, the check on my writing is is my people, my family, my dad, my brothers, um, you know, my friends growing up back home who still love to check me and they go to my socials and every now and then someone from high school will pop up and say, oh, that's not how, that's not us. That's not how that went down. You know, like, I think there's a that's certain funny. level of communal work to, to what I do already that I think is just missing a lot of the hyper individualistic culture of mm. the academy. I'd also say this, that I, I say this in the editing chapter or the editing uh, part of the series a lot. Like getting okay with being corrected, getting okay with receiving feedback, getting okay with someone not liking your work or taking your argument in the wrong way is part of the work of putting your ideas out there. And yeah. to hold it with a little, hold that tension that comes with that. You worked really hard and putting it out into the world is the gift. And what comes back doesn't have to be applause. In fact, if you are receiving applause, Edward Said would probably, you're probably not doing the work of an intellectual. Mm. You and the work of the intellectual is to really kind of stir things up, to name things as they are, to challenge the status quo. So if you're doing that, you are gonna, I've received so much hate mail, <laughs> emails, text messages, DMs on my socials about some something I've written or something I represent, whether they read the book or not. Wow. Um, so for me, this is part of the the cultivating a habit of not just writing to know that, yeah, your work is unfinished. You're, com you're remaking it and you have the right to go back to, Hey, even if I said this thing, if I, this was my thesis for book one, yeah. book two could be arguing the opposite. Hey, I think I got that entirely wrong. I can do this again. The idea of the, the scholar of the academic, the intellectuals to con continuously critique, to engage yeah. to rethink, reimagine those ideas that came before. Yeah, maybe episode nine of the first season of bonus can be how to deal with the haters. <laughs> that's right. Oh my gosh. No, that, that, awesome. I could just be reading out hate, hate mail. It's fantastic. I love that's, it. That's wonderful. Well, thanks so much, Patrick, for your time. Uh, we'll be putting the link in the notes of this episode. Um, is there anything that you'd like to plug coming for you, coming down the pipeline? Um, we're... Yeah, two things. One is the Scholar Starting Guide. If, the, if there's anything people want to see or episodes folks want to see, they can always drop that in the contact us at ftleaders.org. And the other thing is, is that we've tried to democratize all of our support. So we have our professional development for uh, doctoral students of color to 
take alongside their fellowship application. So it's all of, you know, probably 20 years worth of best ideas, practices, and some new stuff that's been combined into a professional development course. So folks can really have access just like the scholars uh, uh, guide to writing um, provides access to a broader array of people who are really trying to, you know, make sure that we're not erased or eradicated to and generate that field of knowledge that we all need. So yeah, check out our stuff at ftleaders.org. Wonderful. Well, thanks so much, Patrick. Have a great day. Yeah, thank you. This has been an HTI production. For more information, visit us at htiopenplaza.org. The Hispanic Theological Initiative provides Open Plaza as a public service. The views expressed by the guests are their own. Their appearance on this program or any reference to a specific product or entity they represent does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by HTI.